0: after watching the Jesus film and listening to Christian radio on July 15, 2001 Samuel, not his real name took a monumental step for an Afghan and Muslim he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior soon thereafter as western aid workers were either arrested or expelled from Kabul the Taliban uh, came after him they told Samuel he was guilty of working for foreigners which had been legal at the time and they threw him in jail for the next 14 days they beat Samuel at least once a day with a 5 foot steel cable after the last of these sessions he fell unconscious in his prison cell then at night Samuel had a dream in it a luminous man wearing bright white clothes appeared. The visitor, whom Samuel would later describe as having very beautiful feet and shoulder length hair spoke kindly to him. Then this person said, get up. In the dream the visitor led Samuel out of the cell. Going to the front gate, the ex-Muslim met another man who was wearing bright green. Many Muslims associate green with God's blessing. This man led him out of the prison. Then Samuel awoke, finding his cell door open. He walked through it to find the front gate of the prison unguarded and open. A close Western associate says he walked out and into the night. And he was free. It's a true story. It was an article in magazine Christianity Today. You don't hear stories like this. We turn on the news and we hear the same stories, the same information, day after day after day, by the same people. And you may wonder, what in the world is God up to? Is he doing anything at all? But stories like this, where God is at work, in mysterious, in in a in a miraculous deliverance of his child in a different part of the country, never gets any press at all. None. But it's a true story. God is at work in our world. And he is doing things uh, miraculously that we have no idea is even going on in our world. This story is evidence of that. And it reminds me of a story that is very similar to the individual that Samuel experienced when he was miraculously delivered in a time of persecution. The story for us is in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. There was another person, just like Samuel, who was miraculously delivered in a time of great persecution, and this man was the Apostle Peter. And his experience is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And the question of our text That is raised when we come to this particular passage is this. What happens when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution? I keep saying that uh, the direction which we're going as a culture isn't going towards God, we're not becoming more and more of a godly society. It's becoming more and more of a godless society and a godless culture. The distinction between God's people and those who don't know God should become more and more clear as time goes by. And it is very possible that we as a church, even in the United States, may experience some form of persecution in the future. So keep that in mind. What happens when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution? Number one, when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution, they will often express complete trust in the Lord when facing or when faced with their own death. Verses one to six. Now about that time, Herod the king, keep in mind, this is not Herod the Great, Herod the Great was the individual who was in power when Jesus was born. This is not that person. This is his grandson, who is also uh, King Herod Agrippa I. So this is the grandson of King Herod. Now when about that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. He's going to persecute the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John with the sword. This was one of the sons of Zebedee. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. It is interesting that, like many leaders, they want to ingratiate themselves to their constituency, so he decides to take James. When he sees that James is, when the Jews, those who are hostile to Christianity, see that this man persecutes and kills James, hey, I might as well just continue to ingratiate myself to the people, and he decides to take Peter also. However, it was during the days of unleavened bread. This was a feast that lasted about a week long, and it coincided with the feast of Passover. So when he arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. He doesn't want to kill Peter during the Passover. That would be insensitive to the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith. So what he's going to do, he's going to put him in custody during the week-long uh, Passover feast, and then he's going to bring him before the people to execute him after trial. That was his purpose. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, on the night that he was about to bring him out to have a trial and most likely execute him, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Isn't that something? On the very eve that he is about to be executed, he is fast asleep. Let me ask you this. If you know that you were going to die tomorrow, would you, be, would you have a good life's sleep tonight? And... Peter knows that he's probably going to be beheaded. And he is fast asleep. What does that tell you about Peter? It means he had absolute trust and confidence in his God. Keep in mind, this is the same Peter who earlier on, when he was in the midst of a storm, you see this account in Mark 4, 35 to 41. The disciples were in the midst of a storm because Jesus told the disciples to go to the other side. And they ended up getting it caught into a massive windstorm. The windstorm was so severe that the waves caused the water to go into the boat. The boat was going to drown. The disciples became so fearful, they thought they were going to die. And they went and woke up Jesus because what was he doing? Sleeping. They were so concerned that they were going to die. They wanted to, hey, Jesus, aren't you going to do something about it? That's that Peter was in that boat. And now we see him much Later. What is he doing? He's just like Jesus in the midst of a difficult time. He is fast asleep. When God miraculously delivers his people from persecution, oftentimes you will see God's people having and expressing complete confidence in God, even in the face of their own death. And this is the state that we see Peter in. This is a possibility. We may never experience the things that Peter experienced in terms of how we may come to our own finality in terms of our existence in this world. But we can have peace and we can have complete trust in God no matter what our future holds, no matter how bleak the future may be for you personally or the state of the circumstances of the society in which we live. No matter how ominous it may be, We can still be people who have absolute, complete trust in Jesus Christ. And when we do, we can have the kind of peace that Peter has, so much so that he was out cold. That's what this is telling us. And you will often find when God delivers people in times of persecution, when they really trust him, it's expressed this way. This is what this story is telling us. Peter had absolute, complete trust in his God. It didn't matter what was going to happen to him, because he knew where he was going to be afterwards. Jesus says, don't fear those who take the body in this world. Fear the one who can take both soul and body and throw them into hell. Those are his words, not mine. Peter did not fear the first death. It was the second one that he feared, and this was evidence of that. So, when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution, they will often express complete trust in the Lord when facing their own mortality. Number two, when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution, they may initially be unsure if God is at work in delivering them. They may not, it may not be clear to them when God begins to work and to deliver them. Watch, what, watch Peter. In Acts chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. Isn't that something? Peter was so fast asleep that the angel actually had to strike him to get him up. And the angel said, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him. Did you notice what's going on here? He's telling telling Peter to do what you can do for yourself, but what you cannot do, I will do for you. Put on your clothes. Put the, gird yourself up. These are things that he expects Peter to do for himself. What Peter couldn't do was take the shackles off. He took care of that for him. And so when that happened, Peter says he did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. This tells me that when God began to do a mighty work in miraculously healing his child from the prison, he didn't know it was God doing this at first or not. It was unclear to him. And oftentimes when God is going to do a powerful work for his people in a time of great difficulty and suffering, oftentimes the person who's being delivered may not be able to recognize, is this from God or not? That's what happened with Peter. Peter. He didn't realize this was if this was God's doing at first. And so we need to keep that in mind, that when if God allows his church in America, you and me, to go through persecution and we are in a, in a situation that is unpleasant and we want God to act, he may begin to act in a way that we may not be able to perceive right away. But we're not the only ones who had that experience. Peter had the same experience as well. Number three, When God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution, the church may have difficulty believing the news that a miraculous deliverance has taken place, which is interesting because it was the church who was praying prior to Peter being miraculously delivered from prison. If the church was praying, the text never tells us what they were praying for. Were they praying for Peter to be delivered from persecution? Or were they simply praying that God would give Peter the strength to endure whatever suffering he may have to endure for the sake of being faithful to Jesus. The text doesn't tell us what the church was praying for, but the church was praying. And here we see that the church may have difficulty believing the news that the miracle, that a, mir- that a miraculous deliverance has actually taken place, verses 12 to 15. So when he had considered this, Peter, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying. So this is the church. This is a house church that Peter would probably was familiar with. And now, after, being, after escaping, he's going to a place where he can be safe and pray with other believers. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But, they said to her, you are beside yourself. You're crazy. That's not Peter out there. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so what did they say? "Ah, It's got to be his angel. Does that sound like the church is believing the testimony that God had done something miraculous? They can't believe it. Have you ever prayed for something and then God answered your your prayer and you're like, huh? Huh? I remember telling a story not a couple of weeks ago about a, a pastor who prayed for a woman who was in the hospital and she wanted healing. So he prayed for healing and then when God answered the pastor's prayer, he was shocked and said, don't ever do that to me again. He was surprised. But here we see collectively the church who had been praying for Peter, God answers the prayer and the church doesn't believe. Why won't the church believe that? Keep in mind the church is under a state of persecution they're going through suffering, and when you're going through suffering, you don't often respond in a way that you would normally respond under a different context. It's different. This is a suffering church, but here we see the church has a hard time believing the testimony of Rhoda. They think she's crazy, and by the way, it says, they, why would they say it's his angel? Why would they, why would they say that? Um, it was in Jewish belief at that time, they believed that there was a guardian angel. And the guardian angel, they believed, would often manifest itself in the appearance or the form of the person in whom they were assigned to protect not only was that belief existent at that time, they also believed that upon the death of an individual, the spirit of the person stayed on the earth for about three or four days after that person's death. So they don't believe that it's Peter's there. They may have believed that Peter had died and what she was seeing was his spirit, his angel. The point being, they just simply didn't believe the testimony. And so that will happen in a time of persecution. The church of Jesus Christ will have a hard time believing a miraculous story that God actually delivered his child, even after praying. It happened then, and we can expect that to happen in the present or in the future, in times of persecution. So be ready for it. God is telling us, this is his word. This is what I want you to know. You know why? Because I love you and you need to know. We may not wanna be talking about these kinds of things in a church, but it's in his word, and it's in his word for a reason, because he wants the church to know these things. So we're not surprised when they happen. Number four, when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution, the news of the miraculous deliverance must be told to the rest of the church so that they may be encouraged in difficult times, even if they don't want to believe it. You tell them anyway. Verses 16 and 17. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning them to, with his hands to keep silent, because don't draw attention because I don't want to be discovered he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren, to the rest of the church. And he departed and went to another place. James here is not the son of Zebedee who was killed. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who would eventually become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he wanted them to know that in the time of persecution, God was at work and he delivered me. I'm not dead. I want you to be encouraged with this news. So the point is this, that when God decides to deliver his people miraculously in times of persecution, that news must be told to other believers so that they can be encouraged and have hope in the midst of a difficult time. Another another point I want to touch on is the fact when Rhoda and the church were arguing with each other about whether or not Peter was alive or not, Peter could never get inside. Peter couldn't get inside the house because those within the church were fighting with each other. And when the church is fighting with each other, those who are trying to get into the church won't come in. That's true. And so the church needs to be aware of its own condition. We don't want to be fighting with each other in the church because when we are focused inwardly with our own personal conflicts, then those who are outside never get in. So we need to be aware of that as well. Number five. When God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution, the judgment that was meant for God's people to experience will often be foisted upon the enemies of God's people. Verses 18 and 19. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined or cross-examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Isn't that something? The very method that Peter was going to be killed ended up being experienced by those who were guarding him. I remember I did a series on the book of Esther uh, maybe about a year ago. And some of you may have been familiar with Haman. Remember Haman? Do you remember what Haman did? He was upset because a man by the name of Mordecai, a Jew, would not bow down to Haman because Haman wanted, he wanted respect. And he wanted all the Jews to bow down to him, Mordecai specifically. Mordecai wouldn't do it. So Haman wanted to put this Mordecai and all the Jews to death and eventually was able to get a, a, a decree to kill all the Jewish people. But we do you know what happened with Haman, right? Whatever eventually happened with Haman? I want to read this to you. In Esther chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Ahasuerus, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Here's this, here's this, uh, um, this, gallows. Here's this gallows. Here's this instrument of death, right? Here's this, here's this gallows. And the king said, hang him on the gallows. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. The very gallows that were meant for Mordecai ended up for Haman, showed us That when God decides to miraculously deliver his people from persecution, oftentimes the very means or the message by which were to be implemented in the death of God's people end up becoming the instrument of death on those who were the enemies of God's people. We see that with Haman. We see that here. So that will happen. That will happen. Finally, when God's people are miraculously delivered in times of persecution... God's word will continue to spread throughout the world. Verses 20 to 24. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, two cities that lived on the coast of the Mediterranean. But they came to him, the people of Tyre and Sidon, they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal attendant or aide, their friend, they asked for peace. Why? Because their country was supplied with the food by the king's country. They had economic reasons, so they wanted to make nice with King Herod of Agrippa. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them, a speech, and the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew, and it multiplied. The author has set these two uh, stories uh, these two bits of information in contrast to each other. He wants to show that the the end of the individual who was trying to persecute God's people and limit God's program from going forward had an end where he was eaten by worms and died. They say they had it at some kind of an intestinal issue and died five days after he came down with this. But God's word in contrast to the individual who tried to keep God's word from going forward the word of God grew and multiplied. It's a f- solemn warning to anyone who dares try to keep and interfere with God's program in the world. It's, you're not going to win. You will be judged and God's program will go forward regardless. And that gives us hope and confidence in our God in a time of persecution. That no matter what anyone does or tries to do to his bride, the church, it will not keep God's word and God's program from going forward. It will continue no matter what. Isn't that true? Amen? We are told that when God became flesh, that he was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. Jesus was rejected by members of his own family. He endured the shame of his hometown community who gossiped about his legitimacy. He was hated by the religious leaders of his day. He was betrayed by his friends. He was falsely accused. He was beaten. And he was tortured to death. Jesus. And again, this was the path of the incarnate God, one he chose and willingly endured. He endured the hate of the world because of his love for you. He endured the hate of the world and was willing to suffer because he loves you. He loved you enough to suffer for you. And he would do it all over again, but he doesn't have to. With that idea in mind, we now come to the table where Jesus had his last meal with his disciples. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when supper had ended, he also took the cup and said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you so that your sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The cup that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Brothers and sisters, The body that was broken and the blood that was shed for you makes this possible. We come together as God's family to participate in the ritual that shows that we are one family. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us partake of these together. I will pass these elements out. I will ask that you just hold on to these elements so that we can partake of them together. We do have gluten free, so if you need gluten free bread, we have some here for you. The body of Christ, which is broken for you and for me, let us partake together. The blood of Jesus Christ that is shed so that our sins may be forgiven. Let us drink together. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence among us. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your church, for the fellowship of believers, and that we have the opportunity to proclaim who you are and to celebrate what you have done and are doing in and through your people. And Lord, we are grateful for your word. Your word is truth. And we long to see you, and we long to hear a word from you in your word, even if it has to deal with persecution. uh, It's a reality that your church faces. And it it may be a reality that we in America may experience at some degree as well. And we thank you that you're giving us your word with regards to uh, this issue. You're telling us what we can expect to happen and how we are to behave as a church in the process. It's your word for us. It's because you love us and you want us to know. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful no matter what comes our way as a church, whatever comes our way as individuals. Help us to be like Peter, that no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what we may be experiencing in our future, help us to have a, the absolute, complete confidence and trust in you, that we can experience peace and rest even in the face of a bleak future, because we know that you hold the future in your hands, and you are greater than anything or anyone that may come up against your church and your will. And we know ultimately that we win because you have already won and we're in you. And so we just wanna give you thanks and praise for all that you are, who you are, and that you've allowed us the privilege to be a part of your people and to serve you and be a part of what you're doing in the world. May all glory and honor and praise be yours, Lord Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing It is well with my soul, verses 1 to 4. Would you please stand if you are able. And I can't help but wonder when Peter was in prison before he fell asleep that night if he was singing this song. No matter what happens, no matter where you find yourself, no matter where you may be, in the midst of persecution or not, we know Jesus loves us. And because of that, we can say, it is well with my soul. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace, for it is well with your soul. Amen.